Welcome, everybody, to the Modern Music Teachers Podcast, the podcast that highlights all facets of music education from all walks of life. It's been a little bit since we've come at you with a brand new episode, but we are excited to be back. Myself, John Kiernan. And myself, Sonia Kiernan. One of the hottest topics that we've wanted to speak about for a while is the topic of today's episode, really looking at what goes in to a successful and effective trial lesson. Before we begin, thank you to everybody who's listened over the course of time to all of our different episodes on music education. If you're listening for the first time, you can find us on all of the various podcast outlets, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts. Uh, you can find our various music education resources at Modern Music Teachers Podcast. .podbean.com. This is one that I know you and I have been excited to speak about for a while. And this is the perfect timing for it, too. We're right at September. School is starting. Studios are opening back up again. And kids are really just excited to get back at it. Teachers are ready to get back at it. And this is our busiest time as well, when we get the most inquiries, the most incoming students. We're going right into the semester. We're going right into September. And it's also been kind of interesting, too, because as of this recording, it's in September 2020. Uh, we are well within six months of COVID coronavirus time where a lot of teachers, as we spoke about before, didn't just have to deal sometimes with brand new students, but a brand new virtual environment as well. And I think that, you know, some schools are starting to get back to in-person lessons, but a lot are still relying on these virtual lessons. And the good thing is, I think we've had the summer to really prepared or to really come up with, you know, updating our system, updating our computers and, and getting a better idea of how we want to approach this virtual learning. Absolutely. So let's talk about this a little bit, because even before we were in a pretty strong virtual environment, you and I have always, and I know I've learned from you, and I know that I've really taken a lot of my vision of what I want a trial lesson to look like from you. But just so that we're all clear, when a new student and a new family enters your school, whether you're teaching solo at home, whether you're part of a fully functioning school, a trial lesson is basically the first time that you are introduced to a family and introduced to a student. So the trial lesson nowadays in 2020 we're going to have two aspects of it. We're going to have the virtual aspect of it, and we're going to have the traditional trial lesson, or the way I like to call it, is an interview, where you're going to be showing parents not only what they're going to be experiencing in a lesson, but what they're going to be required to do virtually, what kind of setup, the camera angles, everything they're going to have to print out, what books they're going to have to get, and really what's going to be required of them virtually, and just technology-wise in this trial lesson. So that's kind of like the number one aspect of our current situation in a trial lesson, that whole virtual technological setup that we're going to be needing from a parent. Are they going to be able to do it? Are they going to be sitting next to their child if the child is at a younger age of five or six or seven or, or even eight years old, kind of assisting them in everything that they need to do? and everything you need from them. I know on guitar it's a little bit easier because the angle faces the hands and the fretboard, but this is another aspect of the trial lesson which is completely new, but really important, especially for teachers who 
you know, are trying to provide the best type of education they can in that virtual environment. I think one thing I do want to highlight that you were talking about, though, that I think is really special, and I don't know if a lot of teachers really think about this, or maybe you do, but you're talking about, number one, goal and expectation setting, but not necessarily just with the student, but you're also talking to the families, telling them what you expect. You're talking to the mom and dad and grandparents in a lot of situations also, speaking to them about what to expect and what is going to be required for the lesson. And I think that when we think of trial lessons, we think of music, a lot of the times we just focus on the students sitting in front of us. And we're definitely going to get to that because that's who we're teaching. But it's also a matter of having families understand what's necessary from both a teaching perspective, in this case, a technology perspective, but really showing here's what we're going to be learning. Here's what you're going to need. And here's how we're going to get the most effective practice and the most effective teaching out of our lessons. Exactly. And the parents have a much bigger role than they've ever had before in, in this virtual environment. Parents are used to dropping their kid off and the teacher just being in charge and, and really being able to take over with their lesson plan, with all of their books ready, their dry erase boards, any of their teaching material is right there, set up, ready to go. But in this case, the parents are really going to have to assist us with that type of setup. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the parents being there, helping the child with the hand position, helping them sit up straight, get the right posture, get the camera angle correct, get the, the, the different books in order, they play a really big role in, in the whole learning process, especially when it's virtual. And that's something that we want to establish right away. What are your expectations from the parents? What are you going to need from them? What type of setup do you want to have? And is this something the family is going to be able to do? And this is also something that translates outside of the virtual environment, too. This is something that you get in in person as well. So even when we start transitioning back to that or whether many of you have already, you know, you don't just have to talk camera angles. You know, you can talk about the preparation that the family needs. And like we were talking about, how do you create the most successful environment you can? Um, I think this is a really good time to build that in the COVID-19 digital environment time because kind of families are tied to having to, as you said, be with their kids, be with their your students. And in that, you're able to build a game plan. You're like, you have to have this material. You have to have this uh, roadmap laid out. I've talked extensively on how Google Drive is basically my best friend in this whole thing. Um, but you are able to build that habit of, okay, what do you need for the lesson? You need this, this, and this. The mom or dad needs to be there in order to help with the hand position. That can translate into the uh, real world lessons as well. So keep that, I would say, as a big thing. So goal setting, regardless virtual or in person, both absolutely set the goals, set what you need, and it's just going to set you up for success going forward. So basically, preparation. Be prepared. Absolutely have everything you need, think about what the lesson is going to be like, what the trial lesson is is going to pertain in, in terms of the parents and yourself and how you're going to get the material over to the student before they even have the books, before they even have anything, then you go from there. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, 
We've talked a lot about the parents and the familial responsibility of the trial lesson. So now let's really get into what a lot of people talk about and what the crux of our lesson is going to be, working with the student. So I want you to take most of the lead on this because again, you are really the one who showed me the best way to have the, I would say the most successful trial lessons and how do we define success in a trial lesson? Um, for me, I number one, first and foremost, I want the trial lesson to usually try to sign up as much as possible that day. You know, obviously there are times where families need to consider, they need to think, but for me, the most successful trial lessons are the ones where right at the go, the student and the family feel like this is the right fit for them. So how do you get a student into a mindset in that first lesson that you are the right teacher for them? Well, to me, a trial lesson is really more of an interview. You're getting to know the student, getting to know the family. Do they have a piano? Have they ever taken lessons before? Do are there specific goals they want to accomplish? What their age is? If they're really, really young, do they know their alphabet? Do they know their right hand from their left hand? Do they know how to add and subtract yet? There's a, all those things are involved in learning music. And those are all things to get to know of your student. Do they learn quick? Are they, you know, students that need to really take things one note at a time, one concept at a time? And as individual teachers working one-on-one -on -one with students, that's something I love about this job, that you can cater to the student because all students, are they learn differently. They have different interests. They catch on to different things in different ways. They're going to have different issues. Some students are going to have issues with rhythm. Others are going to have issues really with note reading. Some are going to need more work on their technique and, and how their hands flow through the instrument and how their hands approach it. And we can cater to all of that. And I think that's one of the things that parents love, that we are going to work with their child their way and really help them accomplish the goals of that child and, and make it to where they can play music and really have fun with it. I want to really stop also and talk about one thing that you said, because it's I think you've been doing it so long that you kind of take it for like, this is how it goes. But even asking a younger student, if you know if they can count what they can do in terms of like their alphabet because you know i think a lot of times as teachers we kind of get nervous with teaching students who are either much older or much younger well with guitar you have a lot of older students sure absolutely but i think when it comes to people accepting younger students uh, having that foresight to be able to speak to the parent and speak to the kid and say listen um, do you know your ABCs? Can you count? Do you know what this is? It, number one, makes you a little bit more comfortable with what you can provide and how you can do it. And maybe you're not a teacher that has familiarity working with a very young uh, student set. Or maybe this is something where you go, you know what, I really want to grow in that area. But that may not be a question that you usually have to ask to a teenager or somebody who's in, let's say, fifth, sixth grade, obviously. So if you're talking to a younger student, and even if you're using words that you think are small, they may not understand that. Even if you're saying counts of this, they may not understand that. I think asking them those questions that have almost nothing to do with music, 
is super important for you to be able to build that relationship and for you to create, as you said, the custom lesson for that student. Right. And these are all concepts that students can relate to. Finger numbers counting to five. Here's finger one, two, three, four, five, or in your case, one, two, three, four. Yeah. <laughs> Musical alphabet just from A to G, those seven letters, and then you go back to A. There's no H, there's no J, there's no Z. You know, specific things like that. High sounds, low sounds. Those are all concepts that we're familiar with or, or kids have some sort of introduction to. You know, right hand, left hand. And that's all involved in music because those are all things that we use. And that's really a basis to get to know the student and where they're at just in those simple concepts. And once you go through all those simple concepts that have nothing to do with playing the actual instrument, there are so many other things such as, as posture. How are they sitting? Are they sitting still? Are they distracted already? You know, you want to get to know the student. You want to get to know what their learning style is. You want to get to know, are they super focused? Do they have trouble focusing? Are they looking at the ceiling? Are they nervous? Are they slouching a lot? Is there a lot of tension? I'm focusing on every single little thing that I notice about the student that is going to pertain to how they approach the instrument, how they're going to be playing, and what we're going to be addressing in the future lessons. In my head, it's like little text messages that go off where every time I notice something, it's like ding, 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 ding. Does it go but, ding, 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 or is it a different sound? I think it goes ding, ding, ding. <laughs> but it's like ding, this person has tension in their shoulders. Ding, this person has really bad posture. Ding, this person hasn't looked at me. They've been looking at something else the entire time, and I don't even know if they remember what I said. So I'm going to be asking them several times. Can you repeat what I said? Did you understand this? Can you say what the finger numbers are? What are these finger numbers? Can you draw them for me? Let's go to the dry erase board. Maybe they're bored sitting down. Maybe they want to stand up and draw something on their own. This is a really great platform to just get to know the student and establish your learning style for them. Establish and they get to know you as well. They get to know what kind of teacher you're going to be, what to expect, you know, what you're expecting from them. Hopefully the parent can understand this as well. And communication with the parent is huge. I'm clear with every single parent what I expect from them, what they need to bring in, what I want them to, to buy. You know, if they need a three ring binder, a one subject notebook, the kids better bring in their own pencils, colored pencils. If I want them to bring in a tennis ball or, or whatever little object I can think of, parents are 100% clear what I'm expecting and what they are going to be needing for the lessons and what their kids are going to be needing. This is a whole lot of information without even touching the keys, without even getting to the black keys and the notes on the piano. I would also say that inviting the family in for the trial lesson is huge too you know it's one of those things where again we think so much and again i know we're talking a lot about even before you're hitting the keys or before you're playing the instrument uh we're going to get to that i promise but i think that 
for, and I think you would be able to echo this, that a lot of the success in the trial lesson comes from all of this prep, this recognition, and knowing and being confident in yourself to be able to take control of that situation. Like you said, when you are seeing these different notifications go off in your head about, okay, this student likes to stand, this student likes to write, this student may not be looking at me or may not be addressing, you know, what's going to, I'm not, not focusing, what probably helps out the most for me also is inviting the family in or whoever's with them into the lesson. Sometimes the parents will say no. A lot of the times they will say yes. But having that comfortability in your ability to address the student in the best way possible and then inviting that family in shows that you're not trying to hide behind the door. You're not trying to hide behind your instrument. You're comfortable enough to where the family should be allowed to be in the lesson. Now, going forward, if the student uh, doesn't want that and the parents are comfortable leaving it as just a one-on-one scenario, totally fine. Parent doesn't have to stay for all the lessons. But that initial, hey, come see what I do. Come see how we're going to be working together is super important, I think, as it pertains to that initial trial lesson. You want the family and the student to feel secure, and inviting them in helps them with that. I can't tell you how many... Uh, students have stayed with me just because of that. Personally speaking, my trial lessons are close to half an hour. A good 10 to 15 minutes is everything I described in the first part. Right. Speaking to the parents, getting to know the student, any prior experience, any do they have an instrument, how young are they, what do they know, what do they don't know. Once we get to know the student a little bit, a little bit of introduction, and just back and forth speaking, we can get into a little bit of note playing. Absolutely. Now let's talk about that because now you said the special word. You said note playing. So now we're going to be talking about how does the instrumental side of the trial lesson go. And this I want us to take both a few minutes because I know for guitar, we're going to have very similar ideas on it. But I know for piano is obviously a little bit different. So how do you, with a trial lesson, address the needs of the student in front of you in a trial lesson? Because again, sometimes you may have a trial lesson with somebody who's never played before. Sometimes you may have a trial lesson with somebody who's maybe come from another teacher and the information, the way they know it is a little bit different than the way you teach. How do you really dive in to make the most successful trial lesson for that student with well, the music? You just brought up another huge topic in this podcast episode. <laughs> All the different types of students that you're going to be getting, students that come from other teachers, students that are new and have never played before, students that maybe played for a couple of years and then they took a break for a year and now they're coming back. But let's say approaching a student who has never played any instrument before. And there's a wide range of ways that teachers can approach this. And, and there are a lot of different studies and, and different techniques that teachers use. You know, it's really just preference and, and what a teacher is comfortable with and, and how they learn themselves. But personally, the way I like to approach it is getting to know the instrument and getting the students to have a very introductory approach to playing one or two notes. Now, I focus on the instrument, showing them the high sounds, the low sounds, the sets of black keys on the piano, 
And once we go through that, I kind of skip the whole method of black keys and I go straight to the white keys. Seeing if a student can find middle C by identifying the two black keys and going to the key right before the set of two black keys, they find all the C's on the piano. If they can do that, then we start with the correct hand position, how their fingers are going to be on the piano, and approaching that same note with the right hand position, with the curved fingers, with the straight wrist, and really just getting to play the way that they're going to be playing in the lesson setting. Now, for some teachers who may or may not be familiar with the black key strategy that you're talking about, uh, can you open that up a little bit? Because I know that we have some teachers who may be relatively new to uh, teaching. We may also have some experienced teachers who have been familiar with a variety of different styles. But why, why do you choose to kind of go away from that black key style and start on middle C, let's say, for example? Like, what is, uh, what is your thought process? Well, personally, I never learned. I never started on the black keys. I went straight to middle C and learned the notes and the letters associated with those notes. Because I was taught that way, that's the way that I know to teach other students. I know how it works. I'm familiar with it. I, I'm confident with that whole method of teaching. I use it and it works for me. But if you go to the majority of method books nowadays, they start the kids on the two black keys. And then once they get the two black keys, they move on to the white keys with the letter names on them. But like I said, every teacher is going to have their own method. Every teacher is going to have their own way of doing things. And neither way is, is incorrect. You know, that's the best thing about our job is that we get to customize. We get to, to really find a way that works for us and a way that's going to work for the student. Sure. And I think that's a really good highlight, too, because like you said, there's so many different approaches to teaching and learning an instrument. I know for guitar that the way I've always felt about the instrument, I love playing it. I've been playing it now for about 15, 20 years or so. So I've got a little bit of experience under my belt. Uh, but when somebody comes in, especially someone who's younger for the first time, and looks at a guitar or they have a guitar, many times if they already have a guitar and they're younger, a lot of the times the guitar is a little bit too big for them uh, because maybe a family member had gotten it for them and they just went into a store, bought a guitar that they were told was a beginner guitar or and the guitar doesn't really necessarily fit the student physically. So sometimes that's a thing with the instrument that we often as guitar teachers have to combat. Um, one thing that I, in my head, always start with is that with piano, piano is, and you can highlight this for me or kind of correct me on this, but the one thing I've always appreciated about piano is you basically put your finger down and you've played, or you push a button and a note comes out. It's one of the most natural instruments to play in terms of not easiest but it's one of the most natural for your hand positions even the way your hand sits with guitar you actually have to start off by sitting and putting your hands in a way that may not be the most natural so first and foremost i always want to get my uh, trial lesson and like we said trial lesson never played before is what we're talking about now i always want to get them feeling comfortable just holding the instrument so the first thing i do 
is I have them take the instrument and with the strings down, I have them put the guitar on their lap, not even play it in position, not even play it, but simply just put the guitar with the strings facing down towards the floor on their lap. Because at that point, we're all starting from the same place. Then I ask them to angle the guitar up to where the strings are facing the wall. So now the strings are facing out. And with guitar, depending on what school of thought you come from, you can either place the guitar over your left leg, like a classical guitarist, or you could place it over your right leg, as is more traditional with jazz and rock. Um, and I have the student often try both to see which one feels more comfortable for them. Um, again, you may have a bigger student with guitar who physically it feels better to play more classical style, or you may have a student which just feels more comfortable putting over, over the right leg. But I want them to start feeling comfortable and get used to what makes sense to them. And what I do is I build the comfortability in holding the instrument first. Because if they're not comfortable holding the instrument, especially with guitar, then anything you teach them afterwards is going to be difficult. It's going to be stressful. There's not going to be clear notes. And that's not going to inspire a student to continue to play. So really just taking it from bare basics for me on that is huge. Um, I think piano players also have a great luxury. And like we said, you press a button and the note is there. Guitar, there's a lot of things you have to do in order to even produce your first sound. And um, one thing that you actually taught me from a violin teacher who I who you used to work with was that she would originally have students play open strings and then she would play along with them. So they do duets, right? One thing that really helped me in terms of having successful initial trial lessons was having the student obviously learn the names of the strings, E, A, D, G, B, E, but also for the first lesson, play a song with them, know what chords you can play that will go with the notes that are the open strings and play a song with them. Have them play, for example, four downstrokes on each string. And you can play, if you're playing the E string, a C major chord. If you're playing the A string, have you know you play an A minor chord and build a song with them. But you don't have to have in your first lesson anyone pressing down on frets. Don't worry about that. You will get to that. I think in like the second lesson or like the first official lesson. But really build the comfortability for guitar of I can actually sit down and produce a note on my first day. I can't stress how important that is in a trial lesson. Get the student feeling that they can do something. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. And it's really taking it slow, bare basics. You want to get that student comfortable with what they're doing and excited about what they're doing. And there's just more than enough time to learn about everything that's going to be coming into the future. There's no need at all to get into sharps, to get into multiple notes, to get into the pedals, to get into any of those things that they're going to be learning much, much, much later. Start with the bare basics. Get to know the student. Have them get to know the instrument. Have them get to produce a sound or two. And really just take it one step at a time. If it's too slow, the student will tell you it's too slow. You will know. Trust me, you will know. And I think also when it comes to lessons, whether it be lessons for experienced teachers or the trial lesson, I think if slower is better than fast, in my opinion, because, again, 
yeah, when you're talking about working with a student and you start rushing through concepts, the student, I think, tenses up more. Uh, I think whether they tell you or not, a student will be more receptive to you taking concepts slower, building on them. And if a student tells you, hey, I got it, let's keep going, you can do that. Now, one of the words that I hate hearing is on the first trial lesson, it's difficult. There's no reason, zero reason for this trial lesson to be difficult right. at all. Things later will become difficult because you're taking all the concepts that you've learned, especially in piano, and you're multiplying them all over the page. You get more and more and more sharps. You need to use both hands at the same time, multiple voicings in both hands, plus you have all the pedals to worry about, plus the metronome, all the articulations that are in there. Trust me, it'll get a lot more difficult later, but there's no reason for it to be difficult in the beginning. Take it step by step. Get your student comfortable with the concepts. There's so many things that you can spend time on. Technique, posture, just getting that first note, getting their hand to play in the correct position and in the correct posture, matching the finger number to the note. Simple things to work on that will provide a huge foundation for your student to be able to accomplish everything else that they're going to need to accomplish. Right. And once they're in the lesson with you, once you're in a weekly lesson or whatever you decide to do, like you said, you're going to develop those concepts. That trial lesson at its core, I think you said it best, is really an interview. Are you the right teacher for this student? And you can have families who have high expectations for their students, for their children, and for their for their students. But it doesn't mean that the first lesson has to be this advanced 12-tone matrix conversation at all. What it means at the end of the day is that you want to be able to provide to the child and provide to the family that you are going to be able to take the student through whatever they want to. You're going to be able to explain the concepts and through time, the student will understand that in a way that makes sense to them. And that's really what it is, I think, at the end of the day. Exactly. All right, let's jump to a student that's coming from another teacher known as a transfer student. Sure. Many teachers that I've seen, you know, throughout the groups in Facebook, and I think just many teachers in general tend to get really nervous at this type of student coming in. Generally, because a lot of students have not had a good experience with their previous teacher, or it could be coming in with a long list of things that need to be fixed and things are doing incorrectly. And it's a big conversation that a lot of teachers just, you know, it's not an easy conversation to have. Well, I think part of it, too, is when you have a transfer student, part of the thing that a lot of teachers, I think, autopilot to is how am I going to get this student to think like me? And I think that's the wrong way to go about it. I think that it's, again, what we've talked about on other episodes and what you and I talk about all the time. Being an effective music teacher in general is about really trying to dive into what the student knows and really cater to their style. You know, you're going to be able to disseminate all of your information that you've learned and know over time, over time. 
But when you have a transfer student, you really, again, just want to get to know the student. You want to get to know what they know, how they understand it. You know, you may have a student that comes in and you may feel that what the teacher previous to them taught them was completely incorrect or completely counter to what you learned. But that trial lesson then needs to be a session in understanding and figuring out, okay, let's figure out where you are, let's figure out what you know, and let's figure out how you know it. There will always be time to impart your wisdom. That's why they're coming to you in the lessons going forward. One of the main things that I think transfer students need to understand, again, this is with my teaching style, I tell them with what they've done if they were unhappy with the teacher that they previously had. And this is a situation that we're talking about. A student that has learned to play incorrectly, didn't learn to read music, their hand position is wrong, they're, they're, you know, they use whatever fingers they want all over the place, mistakes everywhere. Leave the past in the past. This is a brand new day, brand new teacher, and the, the student should get excited about everything they're going to be learning and how they're going to be playing because it's going to get a lot easier. They're going to sound so much better and they're going to enjoy it so much more. And that's how I feel. I'm excited for this student because I know what they're going to be learning. I know how they're going to be playing and how much better they're going to be feeling about their lessons and about their music. And that's really the approach I tell my my parents, you know, my, my students' parents to have. Trust the process with me because you're going to notice a big difference and it's going to be a great difference. Absolutely. And I think kind of, I think you and I were on a little bit of opposite ends maybe in the uh, opening to that part of the conversation. I think part of what I really wanted to get across is you don't want to make the student feel inferior. You don't want them to come into the lesson tell you what they learned and you're just like oh well okay like I guess we have to start over now you never want that no that's a great point as well and and I know teachers that's the last thing they want to do is be discouraging of course and I think that the way that you approached it was you know really strong and you may have some uh, some students who let's say moved from one state to another and now you're the teacher that you're that they're working with right so you may have some students who by circumstance, maybe coming to you, as you talked about too, you may have some students who, even in your local town, go from one teacher to another because they felt that the fit wasn't proper at their previous teacher. And I think what you said really highlights that. Take a look at what's going on. Take a look at what they're doing. I know myself, I tend to look at everything that they're doing incorrectly, but I also look at all the things they're doing correctly, all the things that they, you know, have going for them. You know, if they have a really good legato, if they have very good pedaling to where it's nice and clean and they have a good ear for things, if they have a good ear for music, that's another great thing I like to let the student know. Keep an eye on all the good things that they're doing. Take into account the things that the student already can do well. You know, it's not just that when you have a transfer student coming over that the transfer student is going to be poor. Like, you never want to go into it like that. You want to go into it like you're just welcoming a new student into your teaching facility. You're welcoming a new student into your educational facility. And what you're doing is you're saying, okay, cool. Like, let's figure out what you already know. You see the good things. 
and you go, okay, let's highlight those and anything that we need to fix going forward, let's fix it. Exactly. What you just said. (laughs) Now, we've talked about this. We have the conversation for both a trial lesson that is brand new to music and somebody who's a transfer student. Now, how do you wrap up the trial lessons? How do you wrap up this in a nice little bow? And what do you feel are some of the most successful uh, tips and strategies that you use to finalize the deal? Well, like I was saying before, I think one of the, the, you know, the biggest tips to really locking in the student is being prepared. All my students' parents see me as, well, hopefully, you know, they see me as a confident person. I'm confident about the way I teach. I'm confident about how I speak to them, what I'm doing. I'm very clear about the process, what I'm going to need from them, what their students are going to be, you know, what their kids are going to be doing, what my students are going to be doing, and really what's to be expected. Be clear, be confident, be prepared, and really have the parents get excited for what's about to happen because that's another thing. I, this is what I love doing. I'm excited about teaching a student, no matter who the student is, no matter how nervous they may be, no matter what situation they came from, I know that they're going to have fun and I get excited about all the pieces they're going to be playing and how great they're going to sound. And really, that's what I tell parents. Everything that they need, here's what's going to happen and it's going to be a great, it's going to be a great ride. Absolutely. Let the families know that you're here for the long run. Let them see your excitement of music. Let them see that the small little goals that you set out for the trial lesson were established also, as we talked about in my guitar lessons, having the student play with you. That way they can even go home and say, hey, look what I learned in my first lesson. Here are the names of the strings. I was able to play with the guitar teacher. That's really cool. I like what you also do. You always tell families you need a three-ring binder or you need a notebook or you always prep them for these are the things you need for the next lesson. I think using language like that and telling them what they're going to need for the next lesson is huge. It does a few things. Number one, you're getting them prepared for what they're going to need. And you're also feeling confident that they're going to return. You know, you can always, and this is something I always bring up too, and this is more of the um, the business side, I guess, of it. There are different ways that you can ask for the sale when it comes to music education and comes to uh, trial lessons. You know, you don't just have to be blunt force. Oh, so are we doing this? You don't have to say that. You can come out and as you said, uh, hey, here for the next lesson, we're going to need a three-ring binder. You're going to need to look into this book and this book. Um, I often will also ask, hey, what times would work for you? Are we going to be looking into a half hour, 45 minutes, 60 minute? Um, what days in the week are best for you? Really create the scenario that you and the family can visualize before they even leave your studio. Because if you can create the environment in their head, the sale happens in their head. And if the trial lesson went well, then usually if you're creating that picture before they leave the studio, then when they walk out, you're usually going to have a brand new student because you've built that confidence, you've built the environment, and now all they're doing is they're just saying, yes, let's do it. 
Exactly. And if they need to think about it, always follow the three F's. The three F's. I got this from Ryan Serhan from one of his vlogs. Just going to say it. And it's follow up, follow through, follow back. Follow up with the student. Follow through with anything that you said that you were going to let them know. And then follow back. Even after you've had the student sign up, send them a follow-up email. Send them a follow-back email. Just saying, hey, it was great. I'm excited to work with you. Confirming the lesson time, blah, 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 blah. This date, this address for our lesson next week. Absolutely. It shows that, number one, it shows you're a professional. Number two, it also shows that you genuinely care about that student, about that experience. And the thing is, like you said, if a family needs to think about it, that's totally fine. Everything that we speak about here also, as much as I'm saying don't be afraid to ask for the sale, when you do those three Fs, what you do is you have the confidence that, okay, we're going to follow up, we're going to make connection again, that's going to be totally fine. Some people sometimes do need to think about it. Sometimes the decision maker isn't in the room there with you. Sometimes the person bringing them to the lesson isn't the one that can make the final call of, okay, this time and this time. Grandma. Grandma. <laughs> we get a lot of grandmas as piano teachers. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes they need that extra day or two or even a week. It, so long as you're being kind, considerate, but you're also doing your due diligence of following up and making sure that the families know what's going to be needed for the, less, the next lesson, you'll usually be able to set yourself up for that uh, success for the trial lesson to sign up. I think a lot of making, I think uh, kind of like we talked about, a lot of the trial lesson happens even regardless of the music. A lot of the trial lesson happens with having the families understand what's going on, having the student understand what's expected of them, and doing all of that follow-up work. Because we're all musicians at the end of the day. We all know what we're good at. We all know the terminology. We all have what we're going to plan to teach the student. But I think a lot of the skill set comes down to the confidence pre- and post-lesson with things that aren't even having to do with music. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Modern Music Teachers Podcast. We're going to be coming out with a bunch of new episodes on a bunch of different topics. If you like what you hear, please feel free to subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts. We also post in a bunch of different Facebook groups, and we're over on Facebook as well. So please feel free to interact with us. Give us some of your best tips and tricks for trial lessons. And we love to hear all of the different methodologies and things that you do to really create the best musical and educational environment follow us over on facebook follow us over on all of the different podcasting apps check us out over on podbean.com and again if you are looking for any cool music education merchandise check us out over on our merchandising page which you can also find on modern music teachers podcast.podbean.com